morning on this beautiful holiday weekend. I told the first service I got up here had to take a deep breath because I was having a reality check. Lindsay was, in fact, about eight years old when I met her at camp for the first time. And it's been such a pleasure to watch her grow. And I am so proud that out of the legacy her family had of being in church that the young people have now started their own ministry and taken the initiative. It's something we've all thought we needed and nobody knew where to start, so we needed to ask one of them and they have it all under control. I love Bible stories. So I was particularly pleased early this summer when Pastor David did a short sermon series called Bible Stories, Our Stories. Like most of you, I learned Bible stories when I was really little. Anybody remember flannel boards? Um, I learned them in vacation Bible school. I learned them in youth. What I love the most at this point in my life about Bible stories is they've sort of changed with me. I get different things out of them than I did when I was young, and that's a good thing. Sometimes I go back and read things I didn't even remember I knew. Last spring, I was invited to be a part of an online retreat where for the period of Lent, each week we read a different Bible story. But we read it in a little bit different way. On Monday, we would read the Bible story and we would journal about it. What did it seem to be saying? What was the process that took place? What was God's interaction? Remember, David told us, our stories tell us things about the nature of God, about the culture of the people involved, and then about ourselves. So the first day we journaled. The second day we did a practice called Lectio or Lexio Divina, which is spiritual reading of scripture. And that was where we would read it slowly. And then we'd kind of meditate on what are words or phrases that kind of jump out at us from that reading. The third day we did movement. Was there something in that story that, that called out to us or showed us movement? Maybe there was a issuing a helping hand or maybe there was gathering in or harvesting. The fourth day, we did a practice I was unfamiliar with called Midrash. Midrash is a Jewish word that very simplified because it's a complex concept, but simplified as the we used it was putting yourself into the story, putting yourself in, taking on one of the roles or one of the positions that's offered in the story and looking at it that way. Well, the first story, the first week that we did was the story of Adam and Eve. And so the suggestion was that you take on the perspective of Adam or Eve or the serpent or the tree or God. I invite you to read that story that way sometime. It's quite interesting. At the end, there were some questions, and it said, for instance, put yourself in the position of either Adam or Eve. What is it that's going through your mind when you open your mouth and take that first juicy bite? Or, if you're Adam or Eve, what is the conversation going on between you as you walk out of the garden for the last time? Knowing that God still loves you and knowing he's with you, but that life as you knew it is about to change. Interesting ways of looking at it. Well, I had never heard of Midrash as an activity, but I knew what skits looked like because I ran a camp. And every single week during camp, some small group of kids would be in charge with enacting the Bible story of the week. 
And we did give a lot of poetic license so they could add their own ideas and certainly their own language and within reason adjust the story a little bit. It was educational. It was informative. It was always entertaining. It was amazing how they put their lives into that story. I remember the week we did The Prodigal. It was a music camp led by Jamie Dick, who some of you may remember used to be the music director here. Now, I will tell you, Jamie and I had the conversation that pretty much anywhere in the world, when you do the prodigal story, when the time comes for the young person who gets all of his inheritance to leave and go out and live a wild life, where do you think they go? Well, they come to Las Vegas, of course. <laughs> we were aware of this, and we were really curious to see what our kids were going to do with that story. Well, they brought their own stories. They brought the conversations and the experiences that they had in their families. And we did end up with a prodigal daughter because she won the part. And when we sat down for the conversation that was about where is she going to go to get into trouble, their stories came through. We had two sisters at that particular camp whose mother was pretty significantly politically connected, and they said that they felt sure that she got in trouble because she went to work in a non-union shop. <laughs> One whose father was a lawyer said, well, I think she invested all her money in a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> the girls, I think, won out because the story was written that she, in fact, went to Rodeo Drive and maxed out her credit cards. But every one of those told us a little bit about those kids and their lives and their stories. Another favorite story was when we were doing a week of celebration, and we got to the day that we were doing Christmas. And each group had to do a skit representing a part of the nativity story. And the only guidelines they had was that the characters had to be paper bag puppets. Do you know what paper bag puppets are? Put your hand in a paper bag. It involves a great many googly eyes and pipe cleaners and yarn hair, but all the characters had to be paper bag puppets. So we went through and we had the wise men, we had the shepherd, and the time came for the nativity scene itself. And so what we had was a very pregnant paper bag Mary, a very somber looking paper bag Joseph. And the story went along pretty much according to script until the narrator said, and the time came for Mary to deliver, at which point Mary went into loud, hard labor. <laughs> Joseph, being the obedient husband, stood at her head and gave her Lamaze breathing coaching. <laughs> and then, in a scene I never saw before and have never seen since, we saw the birth. And in fact, Mary birthed a little tiny paper bag that had a halo and blue eyes and J.C. monogrammed on his onesie. The essence of the story was there, but it was their stories, their conversations, their experiences, their lives. Well, the third week of the retreat that I was a part of, we came to the story of Exodus. And I remember thinking, I'm going to have a little bit of trouble finding my story in Exodus it seemed to be a little big, a little grand. We even can think of the music when we hear the word Exodus. But I was curious to see how God would make that work. It was interesting to me that the 
retreat took the perspective of looking at the story of Exodus through the experiences, not of Moses, not of Pharaoh, but the people, the ordinary Israelites who were living there in Egypt. What was this experience like for them? I'm going to invite Kim to come up and read, uh, Joyce to come up, I'm sorry, and read some scriptures that may not be the normal ones you understand or you remember from the story. And then we'll see where our story plugs in. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go so that they may celebrate a festival to me in the wilderness. The Egyptians urged the people to hasten their departure from the land, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls wrapped up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The Israelites had done as Moses told them. They had asked the Egyptians for jewelry of silver and gold and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. And so they plundered the Egyptians. Then the prophet Miriam took out her tambourine and led the women in dancing. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. Then Moses ordered Israel to set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Psalm 30, verse 11. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Joyce. Would you join me as we lift our hearts in prayer? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as we read through some of these scriptures on this retreat I was on, comments were interesting that people noticed. And I remember one fella posted a note and he said, okay, most of the story I knew. I remember that they left Egypt in a hurry. They didn't even let the bread rise. But I have a question. When you're in that kind of hurry, you're running literally for your life, who thinks to pack a tambourine? I thought that was a pretty good question, actually. There's something for you to focus on. Object lesson. Who thinks to pack a tambourine? That was a good question. I'm easily distracted, so I thought I'm going to focus on this for a while, and I did a little bit of study because I wanted to know, maybe I could find the answer. First of all, I looked at Miriam. What did we know about Miriam? Well, I remember that Miriam was the older sister to Moses and Aaron. And we remember that it was Miriam who was with Moses' mother as they slid him into the basket and put him to float in the water where he was eventually found by Pharaoh's daughter, the princess. 
And it was Miriam who had the courage to go up to the princess and say, I think I have someone who can nurse this baby. And then we don't know whether the family took Moses home until he was weaned or, he, or they went into the palace. We know that he was raised, however, with a knowledge of his Jewish roots and his Jewish background. Well, Miriam grew and she was a strong leader. She was a wise person. She's called a prophetess in the scriptures. That was high, high praise for a woman of those days. And we have to assume, we hear that she was in the inner circle with Moses and Aaron, and in fact gave advice, not always welcome, but gave advice. So she must have been involved with the population and getting them ready for the exodus. And then about the Israelites. They'd been in Egypt for 430 years. Some of them settled over in Goshen. Some of them moved in and sort of infiltrated and were amongst the Egyptians. We know that their numbers were multiplying, and that got Pharaoh's attention. He didn't like that. He was afraid if they got too big, they would turn on him and, and take over his kingdom. He did a couple of things to try to keep that from happening, but it didn't work. So he enslaved them. One of the things he was most afraid of was their faith. It seemed like when they got together, the strength of their faith just grew, their traditions. They remembered the promises that God had made to their ancestors about a land for them. And even though it was 430 years later, they still believed that was going to happen. Well, they were enslaved, and we know that they worked very, very hard. We know that they probably didn't get a chance to worship publicly because of Pharaoh's fears. And we hear often in the scriptures that for a Jew to not be able to live as an observant Jew was not to live at all. So it tells us a little bit about what their praise and prayer and worship practices may not have been during that time. I had also forgotten until I read the scripture that Joyce read that Moses' first encounter with Pharaoh was not to get freedom. It wasn't let my people go, we're going off to the promised land. It was let us go. Let us go out into the desert for three days and have a festival for our God. Well, of course, Pharaoh wasn't interested in anybody being worshipped except him. And remember, he was very nervous about them all getting together in their faith. And so he said, no. And we know then the story of the progress of all the plagues and all the terrible things that happened. I sort of had to stop one day and wonder, I wonder if Pharaoh ever woke up one morning and thought, I should have let him go. I should have let him go for three days and saved myself a lot of trouble. What I'd never considered, though, is that right alongside the Egyptians, these Israelite people were suffering too. The tainted water, the locusts, all the different things, until in fact it came to the origin of Passover. They were right in the middle. They suffered right along with the Egyptians. I wonder how that made them feel. I wonder if they were ever tempted to say, let it go, Moses. Let's just go back to the way things have been. But Moses believed. He knew what God was sending them to do. And in fact, Pharaoh finally was convinced. And remember, he said, go and go now. 
And we heard the scripture that said even the Egyptians were trying to help them get out of town because they were afraid the army was going to come looking and might they might get killed too. Interesting, I didn't remember the part about where God instructed them to go to their neighbors and get gold and silver jewelry and clothing. And I can only think about the women who were busy trying to pack, the men who were trying to figure out which tools to take and how to get the livestock and all this. And you want us to go ask for jewelry? That just doesn't seem like something we're going to need. Later on, we find out that all of that was used as they rebuilt the temple and melted down. But even then, at the time, it kind of seemed like an inconvenient request, didn't it? Have you ever had to pack in a hurry? It's fun to think about, what do I need? I've lived three times in places that we had to evacuate. Maybe you have too. We're aware that this very day as I stand here and speak, our friends and family in Florida are doing that very thing, packing to leave, not knowing if home will be there when they come back. These people, the Egyptians, knew there would be no home for them to come back to. I lived on the Gulf Coast where we had hurricanes, and I evacuated. I lived in Dallas in the middle of Tornado Alley. We didn't evacuate, but we had to go into shelters, not knowing if our homes would be there when we came out. And I lived up on Mount Potosi, and you might wonder how we, why we had to evacuate there, but we had wildland fires. And I can remember one Sunday, I was in town at church, and I got a phone call from my staff that we'd had a lightning strike, and there was, in fact, a very fast-moving fire, and the forestry division had asked us to please evacuate within three hours. I told them to get their things and leave, and I got a friend, and we drove up the mountain, and as we're driving, I have her with a pencil and paper, and I'm saying, this is what I need to get, and oh my gosh, my brain is kind of like, most of you are probably very organized, some people are, and they have plans in place that if we have to leave, you get this, and you get this, and you grab that, and whatever, and, and they know where everything is because they're organized. I'm not that person. So I got up the mountain, and I got our dogs and the dog food, and I got some changes of clothes, and I got my mother's medication and her oxygen machine. I grabbed the, the little box that I had, whatever important papers I had at the time. Those of you who've done camp with me will smile when you think I grabbed the briefcase that had all of the summer camp registration and the medical forms, because those are priceless. And then I remember sitting down in the middle of the living room with my friend and saying, what else do I take? But what else do I take? What's, you know, there's a possibility my home will be gone. I prayed a little bit about that, and what I ended up taking was the Bible that had been given to my late husband at a pivotal point in his faith. Because I thought that's, I prayed with that Bible. I held it often, and it was important to me. My story came into the Egyptians. I understood what they were going through as they were trying to pack and get out of there. The lesson that I learned from that was later on in my life as I retired and began to downsize, the decision I made that day has continued to impact me because it was that moment that my relationship with my stuff changed. So we go back to Miriam. So they're packing, they're in a hurry. What was it that made her grab her tambourine? Well, they did leave Egypt. They followed Moses. 
Moses was told by God not to go around by land because there was conflict going on, but to go up to the shore of the Red Sea and camp. I don't know about you, but I probably would have at least whispered under my breath, where in the world is he taking us? We do know that they voiced. Why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? Because by now they knew Pharaoh had changed his mind and the army was advancing from behind them. Why didn't you just leave us there? It was harsh and cruel, but at least we were alive. But Moses knew and Moses understand. I don't know what they prayed for that night. I'm sure they prayed. I wonder what we pray for when things look desperate. Did they pray? Now, they'd seen all the miracles and everything, so they knew God could do anything. So maybe they prayed, Lord, bring down another plague on the army. Or, Lord, bring down an army to defend us. Or maybe, Lord, rise up a mountain between us and the army so that they can't get to us. Or maybe it was, Lord, bring a fleet of ships that we can board and they'll carry us across the water to freedom. I don't know what they prayed for, but I know what they got. The scripture tells us. Moses went out to the water and held up his rod, and the wind began to blow. I kind of read that and thought, that seems a little inadequate to me, considering the Egyptian army is coming. We know what it's like when the wind starts to blow here, don't we? We experience those El Nino winds. They are merciless. You can't see, you can't breathe, dust is everywhere, the wind blows trash around. It's harsh, and I can't imagine that we ever would pray for it. But the next morning, when they woke up, here was Moses, and where he stood, the waters had in fact parted in that totally inconvenient wind that had been blowing, had dried up the land so they could safely walk across. Their inconvenience was the solution to their problem. So go across they did, and then when Moses lowered his staff, the water came back on in the part we remember where the Egyptian army was destroyed. But just about the time that ended, Miriam reached into her bag and pulled out her tambourine and led the women in a dance and a song. And that's when I stop and think, now how did she know she was going to need that? I believe that the strength of her faith was knowing that she had a part to play. In doing research, I know that the women of the day danced and sang as part of worship. That was their participation. I wonder the strength of her faith as she sat in her house thinking and grabbing things to say, I know at some point God has made us promises and we're going to need to give thanks and praise. And I need to be prepared. This is where I see our story again, engaging the story of Exodus. I feel like in our country right now, very often, we are kind of looking back to practices and prejudices that we no longer want to be a part of. We want to be away from that. But boy, the way forward looks a little bit cloudy, doesn't it? And then... I think in our own churches right now, we look back and there's some things back there we don't want to go back to. We don't want to be slaves to some thoughts and some ideas. But boy, as we look forward, there's not a lot of clarity, is there? 
I wonder if we just take it on faith and we grab our tambourine and know that God is going to provide that at some point we'll find ourselves giving thanks and praise. I love this story so much, I actually sat down on Amazon and bought myself a tambourine. Usually it brings a smile to my face. But I also found that I sit with it sometimes in prayer when I'm praying over things over which I cannot see the solution, things I have no idea how we're going to get there or how we're going to pass things. But they never look bigger than the problems that faced the, Egypt, the Israelites that day on the shore. And I always know that God has promised he will never abandon us, he'll always be with us, and that we always... I and invite you always need to be prepared to praise. Amen.